0: welcome to triple click where we bring hang on let me let me just get the flow right on that one welcome to triple click where we bring the games to you this week we are talking about pacing you know those moments when you've just experienced an earth-shattering set piece and then suddenly you screech to a halt because you have to like find a necklace that fell down a well or whatever I'm Maddie
1: Myers. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hello. 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 We're back. Hey, we're welcome back. back. We are back.
0: After a little break. We're After back. After a little break. A for little some break for Mario. <laughs> yeah. But it was mainly for Mario. We we didn't need to take a break. We just needed everybody to hear about the 1995 Mario movie. That was the main thing mm-hmm. we were doing then. <laughs> just just to
1: share some some old thoughts on a very strange movie. That's yes, right. That
2: was our summer vacation. We actually all just spent rewatching the uh, the 1985 Mario movie. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. over, it's and over, over and over and over, speculating what about what it would does. be
0: like if dinosaurs didn't become oil and we had to come up with alternate fuel right. sources. These are things that the Mario movie had to figure out. And if, if you enjoyed that little bonus episode, you might be thinking, wow, what if I had one every single month and also for all the past months that TripleClick has existed <laughs> on Maximum Fun? Well, you can. Wish granted. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join and you can become a member and get access to all of our monthly bonus episodes where we talk about movies and video games and TV shows and our personal lives and... Goodness knows what else. This month, we're going to record a bonus episode of Beans Cast where we spill the beans about Succession, all four seasons of a thrilling show with twists and turns <laughs> and terrifying import for the media industry, at least in the in fiction universe of Succession, but also maybe kind of real life because it's like sort of based <laughs> on the Murdoch family and other things. Uh, so that'll be this this month. But yeah, go go to maximumfun.org/slash/join. Become a member. Uh, yeah, go do that. Support us, support our wonderful wonderful ad-free show. Uh that's that's the pitch. What do you guys think? Should should we I think it should sounds we move great. on? Great. Okay, Jason, what are we talking you about today? You covered
2: You covered the whole thing. <laughs> Before we get into the episode, Kirk, do you want to tell everybody where you've been for the last 2 weeks?
1: Oh man. Yeah, I've been in Australia. I visited Australia. Down um, under. I was I was actually flown to Australia by the hosts of this wonderful Australian podcast Chat 10 Looks 3. Annabelle Crab and Lee Sales, who are personal heroes, and now just friends. They're not just my buds. We went and hung out in Australia, which is very cool. They are these amazing ladies who make a show and really like strong songs, so they flew me out, Uh, me and Emily actually, which was really cool. And we did a live show in Sydney for a whole bunch of people, and it was really exciting. And then I kind of we went on to tour Australia just on our own, on a kind of just uh, as tourists. And we went to (laughs) Cairns in Far North Queensland. We saw crocodiles. We snorkeled on the Great Barrier Reef, went to Melbourne, really cool a really cool city. Sydney's a really cool city. It was amazing. Australia is really cool. Uh, I think the, the two things I will, I will point out about Australia that people who haven't been there might not know who live in America is, so one is they drive on the left side of the road. <laughs> and as a result, of course, you, know, you, you would imagine, okay, yeah, the, the you know steering wheel is on the other side of the car and all of that. But also when you're walking as a pedestrian... Everybody walks on the left side. I which know, is, it's
0: so weird.
1: It's very hard to adjust to. So that was one thing. I,
0: I've only been to the UK, but had the same experience. Same, I would imagine it's where the, same, I just, the same. That yeah. and also looking both ways when you cross the street. I would just yes. look both ways. Repeatedly and be like, I don't know, I don't know where the cars are coming from. Yeah, they could come from any direction.
2: That's weird. So, can you make rights on red or you lefts can. on red? You can is make that, lefts, that, on red? Red, lefts on everything red. Is everything is backwards. Yeah, it's so and yeah, weird. we felt in constant peril as
1: pedestrians because yeah. you're never looking the way you should be looking. <laughs> uh-huh. So there's there's that, and then. One other pervasive thing that I noticed is that when you're getting food at a restaurant, instead of saying for here or to go, they say, have it here or take away. Mm -hmm. Always. It's have it here or take away. You say, oh, well, have it here. I'll have it here, I guess. (laughs) And um, that is a a little Australia-ism.
0: That sounds so casual. We'll have it here. It is.
2: What about brekkie? Yeah, do they say brekkie? <laughs> they, they say brekkie. brekkie all the time.
1: They do say brekkie. There's a lot of, you know, just terms for things, um, you know, like different types of sandwiches that have different kinds of names. You have to mm-hmm. kind of deduce what things are. Thank but, you. man, I got to say, Australia <laughs> is a wonderful place, um, an amazing country. It is just really like I wanted to move there after after <laughs> visiting. Melbourne is such a cool city. And they just, I don't know, they have a lot of uh, stuff figured out that we have not figured mm-hmm. out in way america more
0: kangaroos than we have for one we haven't figured way, yes, that out we, at all
1: no. way <laughs> more kangaroos and crocodiles i saw a spider <laughs> that freaked me the fuck out the biggest yeah, spider i've ever seen good. in my life no that wasn't they good. got some
0: real scary animals down there right they let all the scary ones they have scary in.
1: animals but they have scary animals but way fewer guns so i ask right. you which is the more dangerous country to be in <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anyways yeah. um i loved australia i am extremely jet-lagged and feel crazy right now, so <laughs> if I uh, if I say anything, I'm kind of on autopilot, and if I say anything weird, it's because I'm so jet-lagged, so apologies for that in advance.
2: Um, all right, Kerry Kabaddi, today we're going to talk about pacing in video games. And pacing, I think, is a really interesting topic to dive into, and I've been thinking about it a lot since playing through all of Final Fantasy 16, the new video game from Square Enix that came out last week. Um, and so what does pacing mean in a video game? And what even is pacing in a video game when you can kind of play at your own pace? What, what does that mean exactly? It's an interesting question. And I think it's something we think about a lot more when it's like when we're talking about big cinematic experiences such as Final Fantasy 16, where you can't really play at your own pace. A lot of the pace is set to you by the game itself, um, so we're going to talk about sixteen a little bit. I know you guys have just kind of dabbled with it, so we're not. I think next week we'll talk about the game itself more in depth, but um, and and we can talk about pacing in some other games and some other kind of thoughts that we have on the concept in general. Um, but I was thinking about this because in Final Fantasy sixteen, um, there are specific parts that you guys haven't reached yet that. Just kind of slow down the pace of the game in a really radical way. And I'll give you an example. So, there are, um, the game is essentially divided into three different sections. There are these kind of high intensity action sequences that are one kind of section of the game where you are dropped into a level and you have to fight your way through. And then it always ends in a boss and cutscenes and stuff. Then there are the more open world sections, which are kind of the, um, big open fields and there's like, a lot of you can you can revisit them and there's fast travel points and side quests and stuff. And then the third is your hideaway, which is your kind of home base in the game that you guys I don't think have gotten up to yet. Um, but what happens is these really these high intensity action sequences are always really cool. They're full of spectacle and big uh, uh, big explosions and cutscenes, cutscenes that uh, a a reviewer might call bombastic if they were using the word <laughs> we incorrectly. We would never do that here. Um, and in never. fact, did. I, I saw quite a few reviews calling Final Fantasy sixteen bombastic and in, in in a completely incorrect use of that term, but we won't get into that. We'll talk about the pacing <laughs> instead. But um so what happens is there's a lot of like momentum in those scenes, a lot of story developments, a lot of twists and turns and big action scenes and stuff. And then a lot of the times what this game will do is it'll then just like <sighs> Like, like, slam the brakes on the momentum train and be like, and now you have to spend the next hour or so go doing, like, mundane side quests. Like, there's one section where you have to go help this girl um, named Mid. Uh, yes, Mid. Uh, you have to go <laughs> help her. Um uh, she's not mid, though. Don't worry. She's not a mid character. Um, you have to go help her like assemble parts for some contraption that she's working on, and that essentially means doing like 10 different fetch quests uh, in a row. Sounds pretty mid to me,
0: but okay. It does sound... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think
2: the character isn't mid, but her what she asks you to do is pretty mid. And it got me thinking, and the reason I bring that up is because it got me thinking a lot about um, the purpose of pacing like that. And sometimes, in some games, the purpose is just to kind of artificially extend the length of a game, But uh, I think also sometimes it's deliberate. It's like we kind of we had you on this high of this big action moment. Your adrenaline is rushing and we want to kind of take a step back and let you have a breather moment where maybe you're doing something that isn't quite as interesting or fun, but it's kind of a a lull in the action it's a little it's a chance for you to to pause before you get on to the next big flashy scene um and so i'm curious i mean have you guys experienced stuff like that in games what are your thoughts on kind of like games that force you to slow down even if that slowing down is also kind of boring um have you guys dealt with that what do you guys think of that concept in general
0: well, I want to talk about Final Fantasy 16 a little bit more right off the bat because I, I do think the pacing at the beginning of the game is very strange. And Kirk, I know you're far enough to have experienced at least some of the things that I'm going to refer to. So here's kind of my spoiler spoiler free. Not super
1: far, but yeah, go Rundown
0: ahead. of like the first couple of hours. Uh, so you start out as an adult man and then you get flashback to your youth and you meet a bunch of teenage characters you're a teenager and you do a tutorial where you learn how to use your sword and then you go back to being an adult again i thought it was odd to start the game with that really short section where you're an adult like super short and then you're a kid for a really long time for like that whole tutorial and at that point i was like just start me as a kid i'm fine with it i get that i'm gonna grow up later i know i'm on the box and i'm an adult i'm aware of how video games work but it really weirded me out and like i Jason, I, I kind of want to hear from you about like just the idea of flashbacks. I'm pretty resistant to them, and it's probably because I had a screenwriting teacher in college who told me that flashbacks should really be used sparingly. So anytime a video game uses time in an interesting way or flashbacks right out of the gate, I'll just immediately be like, why is this happening? What What is the decision here? Is this a game about time, or is this just the game not knowing how to teach me how to use my tools and when? When to introduce a tutorial is always something that's really hard to figure out how how to do in a game. I understand like when I'm an adult Clive, I know how to do everything. So they need me to be a little little baby so that then it's not weird that I'm learning how to use my magic powers. But it it did immediately take me out of it. It did feel like hitting The stop, hitting the brakes suddenly Mm. in the way that you described Jason. But maybe that's just me. Kirk, you look like you have thoughts on this. What do you think about flashbacks?
1: Yeah, well, I think this was just, I think structurally the introduction to this game works similar to those in media, res TV show or movie beginnings where, you know, you start in the middle of an action sequence, something unbelievable is happening, somebody, a gun fires and you don't see whether they were hit. And then it cuts to, you know, three weeks earlier. I think that was the sense that I got from the beginning because it starts with Clive and his team. In the middle of this unbelievable battle, I mean, really, it starts with, like, basically a, a ripoff of the Balrog fight from uh Two Towers where these two giant gods are, like, fighting one another. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to Clive and as an adult and this incredible battle sequence where these huge creatures are fighting. And you, it's really exciting and, like, visually spectacular. And I think by beginning the game that way it just pulls you in with incredible spectacle at the very beginning and then they flash back and they kind of cool things off so they can be like okay here's actually who's who here's the relationship between Clive and his family here's the girl yeah. who's a ward that they're keeping and you kind of get this slower pace
0: I mean I get all that I just felt like the beginning was so short that it was very weird but maybe it's just me and I'm, I'm crazy I'm willing to accept that no I...
1: I mean I think the effectiveness is another question I just think that that's what they were kind of going for was like to throw you into the deep end and show you a bunch of spectacular stuff mm-hmm. and then flashback it's interesting with the tutorial question to the bigger question of pacing because they do uh Perform the tutorial as a training sequence where you're studying with the kind of head knight and he's actually showing Clive how to do his different moves. And then it's kind of revealed over the course of the fight that actually Clive is a really good fighter and he's just been like promoted to the best position. So he doesn't even need to be having these things explained to him. The game actually could just cut that out. Like, while it is hard to work in a tutorial to the narrative, there are plenty of games where it's just you're in the middle of a fight and little pop-ups come up and say, to do an attack, press square and he press square and he does the attack. Like that, that would have worked too.
0: I agree.
2: I actually think the beginning of the game is paced pretty well, other than that weird um, Balrog fight that you described, Kirk, which is presented with no explanation for the first 30 seconds inexplicably. I found it very odd. Well,
1: I started to figure it out. (laughs) So I think I understand what's happening there because I have been learning a lot of the lore and the backstory behind these scenes as I watch them, which is actually a very interesting thing about this game. So as you watch these cutscenes at the beginning, a lot of the beginning of the game is cutscenes. You can pause at any moment. Jason, this is something you talked about. Whenever that was two weeks ago. Uh, what's the system
0: called? Active Time Lore.
1: Active Time Lore. How
0: could you forget the phrase Active Time Lore? It's, I knew it was something related to lore. It's so obvious. That so that's
1: what it's uh, to explain to anybody who who doesn't know what this is, you pause the game and you can press the the sort of trackpad button on the PS five controller, and you get a little pop up with explanations for the characters and concepts that are being discussed or shown in the scene, and it's really. Cool. I I really find it very useful. But in terms of pacing, just to keep us on target.
0: I'm following.
1: It really affects the pacing because the the way that information is doled out in especially some kind of dense fantasy setting like this is a really important part of the pacing. And when it's done well, you're kind of in the dark until you don't need to be in the dark anymore. Like you watch and you're like, wow, this is a lot of names and concepts and things, and I don't know what they are. And because they've, they're being introduced to you at a very controlled rate, you know, in a movie or a TV show or something – You know, if it's done well, it's kind of cool. It's it's mysterious. You're kind of confused. And then over the course of the story, you come to understand what things are and then kind of realize, oh, that's what they were talking about back then. In this game, it's very different because you're getting that same kind of immersion where you're just thrown into the deep end. But you can, at your own speed, pause it, and then read up on what everyone is talking about, which makes for a very different experience. Like, it was a very different experience for me watching this than watching the beginning of Game of Thrones, uh, the the series, which was my introduction to that world. And this does have a lot of parallels with Game of Thrones. But it would have been, to pick a specific example, it would have been really interesting if in Game of Thrones you're watching, and when Theon Greyjoy first comes on the screen, you could just pause it, and a little thing would come up, and it would say, this is Theon... Theon Greyjoy. He is one of the children of House Greyjoy who were at war with the Starks. He was taken as a ward. Like, that means this, and this is the history. And then everything where they're ever talking about, you know, the Ironborn or whatever, um, and they're talking about House Greyjoy, you would then have all this understanding. The show doesn't do that, and as a result, the writing lands really differently, and it takes you a little while to figure out more organically Theon's role. So everything in this game kind of works that way, and it really affects the narrative pacing that you can pause and look at that. And then to get back to that Phoenix fight from the beginning, Mm -hmm. um, I now know like what the Phoenix is, what that means, because I can pause it and go read about the importance of this with the family that this is like this creature that can be summoned, that his younger brother controls. And even that there was some great failure, that the phoenix died or something. And I'm guessing that's what I saw at the beginning. And I know that Clive was responsible for it. So because of all this lore that I'm getting, I'm able to actually piece together the story much, much more than I would have been able to if I were just watching it.
2: Well, so, okay. So what I was going to say before all that is that that is a weird thing because it's actually explained at the end of the flashback so like 2 hours into the game it's not something that needed to be teased because it happens 2 hours into the game and then the the teaser you talked about uh before Kirk with the the war is a much more effective in medias res opening um, I think, at least. And I, I think the flashback is paced pretty well. Uh, there isn't quite as much monotonous tedium as there is a little bit later in the game. But, I mean, more broadly, I think all of these cinematic games or even we could talk about the specific part that the three of us have played because a lot of it is watching. And in a game, yeah. part of the pacing question and part of kind of designing the the flow of a game from a grand perspective is, like, how much of it are you playing and how much of it are you, are you watching? and definitely my uh I was a little bit kind of I don't know about off put because I like the cutscenes in this game, but I was definitely surprised when I first played those first couple hours uh how much it's probably like a solid fifty percent watching uh versus playing in in those opening hours of the game
0: Yeah, I was pretty surprised by that too and then I was. I know we're not going to talk about the combat that much, but it's so good in this game. And they delay that gratification for so long. Like, Kirk, I don't even think you're at the cool parts yet, but it gets so freaking cool. And like, when finally you start fighting big bosses and like seeing big splashy moves, like it feels like Devil May Cry, it feels like Bayonetta, some of my favorite games combat-wise. And I'm like, okay, now I'm in it. But when I was still in the Game of Thrones of it all, I was like, I'm not sure I'm not sure I'm I'm with this, which I do consider a pacing thing, especially given how much we've talked about how much the beginning of a game matters and how so many people don't beat games. A lot of people will just play the first 5 hours or the first 10 hours and then that'll be their memory of the game forever. And so if you don't have a really great opening, it's just it's surprising. I I I was surprised. I was surprised that this opening was so meandering, at least in my view. Like, it wasn't just that that you watch the opening. It was that it kind of kind of wanders around. It's like, I don't know, read the act of time lore, Maddie. Like, take a seat, chill out, read a book, flip to the, the front of the book where there's a picture of the map and then flip back and be like, oh, that was the name of the place on the map at the beginning of the book. That's what it reminded me of.
1: Yeah, there's this interesting pacing question or the fundamental pacing question for video games is how do you control pacing in an artistic medium where the player has so much control? And there are a lot of different games that answer that question differently. In this case, yeah, the only thing in these opening hours anyways that feel, you know, that feels specific to games is the active time lore because that is like changing the pacing because it's like I was saying it changes the pace of the kind of information that I'm taking in. And then also just causes me to pause a lot and kind of slow down some of those sequences. But it's super different from something like Zelda. I've, I played a lot of Tears of the Kingdom on my trip and was struck by the way that that game is paced or not paced. It's paced, it's paced however you want it to be. Um, I found that I, um, There was a period where I was playing and I was like, okay, I'm just going to do a bunch of story stuff. So I went and did, you know, one of the main dungeons and then I found the master sword and I like did just a whole bunch of story sequences. I went and tracked down a bunch of those flashbacks that you can go kind of actively go find. Yeah. The dragon tears. And so. In that, for that period of time, for those few hours, it was like, okay, a lot of story, just go, go, go. But then I tend to control the pacing myself in games like that, where I'll say, well, okay, that was a lot of story. Now I'm just going to go do shrines and explore and just find stuff. So I'm totally in control of the speed. Which is cool. I mean, I really like that and um, works really well in a game as well made as Tears of the Kingdom, but it's just such a different thing from something like uh, Final Fantasy. Like, it sounds like these types of sequences are in FF16.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, with Zelda, we're talking about a different beast entirely. It's an open world game that never really slows down and never really asks you to do. You do set your own tone. I think for Final Fantasy 16, other comparison points might be like a God of War or an Uncharted 4 or something, any Uncharted game or something like that. And I was actually thinking to get at the original point that I brought up, I was thinking a lot about like, um, an Uncharted game or a Last of Us done any Naughty Dog-style game, and how that approaches the kind of like, all right, we, had a, we just had a big, intense emotional moment or a big, intense action scene. So we want to take a step back and let the player breathe a little bit and how that can be effective in certain ways. But I think where Final Fantasy sixteen really fails is that instead of kind of doing that in a way that... um I don't know. Doesn't ask that that lets you? I think uh, it doesn't really let you breathe. It's almost of counter, counterintuitive when it's asking you to go around the world and do kind of fetch quests because it's not actually letting you breathe. It's making you do chores. It's if it as if we said like I don't know. We just had this intense emotional moment. Go uh, do the dishes or something like that instead of like go sit on the couch. It's like uh uh you know how there's the trope of like after sex you need a cigarette like yeah. instead of instead of that it's <laughs> you like you need to do a fetch <laughs> quest after sex you have to go. Mow the lawn for a while. Right? <laughs> yeah. Even that is like is a bad comparison because fetch quests are like actively annoying, whereas like mowing the lawn can be a little satisfying, but like going and collecting three different objects by like going up to them on the floor and holding X down, uh is just like active an active Yeah like tedium
0: i've only done one fetch quest in final fantasy so far but i was surprised by how low impact it was and it's kind of sad to hear that they are really just pressing x while you're facing a person do they get any more interesting
2: and no but it's worth noting that this is like <laughs> this is the team that made final fantasy 14 or did a sure. lot of final fantasy 14 um including Ward, um the first expansion and so pretty much all of their quest design is like straight out of Final Fantasy fourteen to the point where like I recognize certain tropes like finding sparkles on the ground that are items and then you have to hand over. There's even the whole extra prompt of like hand over this item, um, which is straight out of an MMO RPG. So it's very much that kind of design background yeah. uh, being I, approached to this game.
0: I think the Zelda comparison is also great here because of how opposite they are. Like it would be like if Zelda said to you after you complete the wind temple it's like okay now you have to just go clean up some yiga clan guys like you have to do that next. like you don't get to pick you need to go to six camps and defeat six 16 guys at each one like that is the level of on the rails that final fantasy is and i think sometimes people see that as a bad thing but I, do, I really don't like I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, this game's too linear. I'm, I'm never that way. So it, it's more just that going between these two games at this particular juncture of video game releases is very weird mentally, like I am playing these two games at the same time. So the differences are much more stark. Ned Stark than they otherwise would be <laughs> because it's just like, wow, this is a medieval fantasy game with magic and stuff, but they they do not want to let me have any freedom over what I'm doing next or which part of the story I'm seeing, whereas in Zelda, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll go find a dragon's tier. Maybe I'll go check that out. I'll watch a cutscene. Well,
2: there is, I, I so I should be clear, there is freedom. Like, there's a whole open worlds part of the game where you can go do side quests and hunt optional monsters and stuff. There is a fair amount of freedom that you just haven't reached yet. Um, It's just that when I talk about some of the tedious, monotonous stuff, that is just kind of part of the main story. So if you want to continue the main story, you have to go do these, like, boring, tedious things that you probably don't want to do. So, I mean, a comparison in Zelda might be that, like, instead, imagine that after... Like you said, after every dungeon or something, you have to go kill 10 Yiga. And you can also go and go kill 10 of something else if you want. But to (laughs) continue the story, (laughs) you can't do another dungeon until you go kill the 10 Yiga.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, at its best that kind of stuff can be an opportunity to let the player explore the world a little bit more. Like the big, you know, um bombastic set piece is uh, sorry, come on. Had to do come that. on. <laughs> bombastic. The big explosive set piece. <laughs> the bomb, that's right. We use bombastic. Um the big set piece is kind of usually a culminating story moment or at least yeah. hopefully. Um I remember talking to Neil Druckmann, I think about Uncharted 2 and how this is kind of a tangent, but sorry, I'm jet-lagged, about how <laughs> their early set pieces... The, a thing that they learned with Uncharted 2 was that big set pieces should actually correspond with climactic narrative moments. And he compared... I think we were talking about... Um, The Last of Us. He compared the moment in Uncharted 2 when the building falls and you're inside of it and this helicopter like blows up a building and it's the most unbelievable thing in the game. But actually it kind of just takes place randomly in the middle of nothing. Like nothing happens narratively there. It's just like the most exciting thing that happens because a building falls. Where in The Last of Us, like when Joel gets impaled later in the game, it's a big set piece and it's narratively intense because Mm -hmm. you're worried Joel is going to die. And he was talking about how important it is to have the story line up with those climactic moments. Anyway. And yet,
2: <laughs> and yet, well, and they, it was kind of a thing yeah. they had to learn. And that yeah, they, no, that they I totally get
0: why. It's yeah. like it only seems obvious in retrospect, but it, mm-hmm. yeah. Well,
2: no, it's obvious if you're just writing a script, a screenplay, or something. But in terms of game development, not
0: always. God knows, I've seen action movies where I'm like, well, that was sure, just a but, big action scene. But it's uh, it's a lot notice. easier.
2: <laughs> it's a lot easier to be like, hey, I'm gonna write. I'm gonna make sure when I write these big moments, they also have emotional impact. As opposed to in game design, where you're thinking about 400 different. Variables and right. you have to worry about right, right. Uh, coordinating all these different things that are made in totally non-linear ways.
1: So. Yeah, and it is a thing that even in movies now you still don't always see. I mean, is, the reason The Matrix is so amazing is because the final action sequences are so good because the whole story has been building to them, and it all hinges on like, can Keanu Reeves do an amazing thing and be amazing, and then he does it, and you're so excited because of the anyways, um, <laughs> or like the Avengers finally assemble at the end of the Avengers, and they it's sure like, do. Yeah, that's the the culmination of the movie because you've been building toward it for all these years anyways that's not even really really (laughs) my point Um, so assuming that that is happening assuming that's the case with these big you know narrative kind of climactic gameplay moments when you then have the opportunity to just go do side quests that can be a cool way to flesh out the world that can be a moment to just walk around the neighborhood and talk to people. And maybe what you're doing is just, you know, picking up whatever collector cards from everybody because someone told you to do it. But in the process, you get a sense of how this neighborhood works. I'm thinking of some of the early side quests in Final Fantasy VII Remake, where you're just walking around the kind of Midgar slums, but you're getting to know a little bit of how this, this town works and how this place works. And while gameplay wise it's it's really just repetitive and kind of boring you can at least get something of the world out of that kind of you know forced side questing mm-hmm. and um, I'm I don't know whether ff-16 does it exactly the same way but that approach can work it's just that sometimes it, it also can feel like if the if the narrative part isn't there or the world building part isn't there then there's really just no point at all and it feels it feels kind of pointless
2: well so my question to you guys is do you feel like when you're playing this game and it has this big spectacle this giant set piece or like even a big heightened emotional moment like someone just died or something do you feel like after that you need to take a breath and do something that's kind of like flat and and dull do you need that cigarette afterwards or do you feel like a game a a story can just keep propelling itself from moment to moment um Like, yeah. from from high-octane moment to high-octane moment. It
1: depends, right? I mean, like, a game like Bayonetta can just sort of go from climax to climax, right? Yeah. Like some games it do It can.
0: It can, and it does. And that's sort of the joke of it. I feel like also the games I think of that are constantly high-octane are very... St- Dressful to play. Like they're like horror games where it's like, oh, Leon Kennedy only barely scraped out of this, but oh my God, there's another guy. And like you think you finally <laughs> can take a breath, but then like a guy is exploding into spikes. Like that is not a pleasant feeling. Like you want actually that chance to take a beat. Maybe you're not walking around delivering mail per se, but I think when a game isn't offering you that, it's because it wants you to feel either the high octane sensation of a Bayonetta or the fear of a horror game that is like, you are never safe and you should never feel safe at all. But yeah, in an RPG, I'm like, yeah, I just want to vibe and deliver some mail for a second. I just want to mm. get to know these
1: Right. People. I think that kind of pacing can be good. And even outside of role-playing games, uh, Modern Warfare is a good example where you play through this really harrowing sequence where you are killed in, you know, your character is killed in a nuclear explosion, and then the Chernobyl sequence follows it, which is this really intense sort of sneaking cat and mouse Thing that is just at a very different level than the like pitched firefights you were just in. I think that's a, an example of really good pacing where there is like a super intense climactic moment followed by not something boring, but just a release, something that lets you sort of relax in the way that I think great films. And it's something that Naughty Dog is very good at, those kinds of linear games. When they're done right, they give you those moments to breathe. I think it's something The Last of Us actually did really well.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the important part of that is not being boring, is giving you that chance to breathe right, right. Without like making you feel like, why am I doing this right now? Like this yeah. is a waste of my time.
0: I'm kind of realizing that a lot of those quote-unquote boring segments in games that I like feel a little bit like a carnival. And I don't mean in the exciting sense. I mean in the like walk around. There's little tiny diversions everywhere you mm-hmm. look. Like. The beginning of Tears of the Kingdom kind of feels that way. It is technically a tutorial, but it's like a specific sky island where there's only so much you can do. There's kind of a linear circle you have to walk around in, but you can do it in the wrong order, and God knows I did, and you can discover things in the quote-unquote wrong time. Or like the beginning of Bioshock Infinite, not a game I like, but a beginning of a game that I think is really strong. Literally a carnival, you're walking around, you get to know the world and the setting super well. And Final Fantasy VII Remake also feels kind of carnivalish. You don't have to take Mm -hmm. every side quest, but just the experience of walking around that setting and seeing people in the ramshackle houses tells you everything you need to know. Even if you don't talk to anyone, you're still getting that vibe and that storytelling through just the environment that you're exploring. But that environment has to actually be interesting to explore or else what is going on, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think an interesting comparison to that is a game like Red Dead Redemption 2 that goes pretty far beyond the amusement park thing, or at least it takes the amusement park idea to such an extreme level of immersion and design that it doesn't really feel like you're walking through an amusement park. Sometimes it really just feels like you're walking through this digital world. And And yet it does the same thing with pacing, or it allows you to do the same thing where you play through a story mission, and then you can just chill out and walk around and do really mundane stuff in that game. But because it's presented so immersively, it actually feels really great. It feels like a nice contrast in pacing Mm -hmm. and um, just the act of walking through the world feels like really distinct and gives you a lot of distinct experiences.
2: I think that's a really good comparison point that I hadn't thought of. Red did too, because there are a lot of parts of that game that like one might say feel boring or mundane um, or uh, well, so mundane that they're boring Um, and some things deliberately feel At least I I read on it as deliberately feeling clunkier than um, they might in another game, whether it's like reloading a gun or like making coffee at the campfire, walking around in general, just like walking. Um, And I think that's really interesting because I really love that game. And I think that the detail helps, the way it looks helps, the way it feels deliberate helps, as opposed to something like 16, where, um, again, like I mentioned, you're just standing in front of a shiny thing and press X, imagining a game like Red Dead 2 that did tried to do some of the things that it does that feel mand- as mundane as they do, if they were like represented as little metaphors of like shiny dots on the ground or something, that would just be <laughs> terrible. So maybe the detail plays a large role into it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like a... Like an Assassin's Creed or a Ubisoft game, right? Yeah. They, they kind of are a little more in that way where they, they put things forward in the
2: UI so you get a lot uh-huh. of
1: icons and things you can click on and it, it does feel more artificial mm-hmm. it does
2: yeah and I think in Red Dead 2 it works really well that's a game with really interesting pacing decisions some better than others but um yeah uh, the, the worst one is probably the the whole Guam section which the whole felt unnecessary chapter cut. that they could yeah, yeah just but cut. but there are some really cool moments of pacing in that game where you're forced to deliberately do something super slow whether it's like riding on a horse and having to keep up with your your partner or like really slowly, or or um, just being at the campfire in general. Like some of those are some of the best parts of the game. So that's a really interesting, just kind of example of pacing in general. Um. So yeah. So Final Fantasy 16, Let's put a bow on this conversation by just talking a little bit more about some of the things it does at the beginning, because the three of us have all at least played that that opening section we gotta um, talk about
0: clive's hair right i mean just for the next five minutes is that yeah please do you want to do you want <laughs> do to get pacing. into it i'm just, I'm just joking into, i'm just no joking. please
2: go ahead if you I have mean, if you have thoughts on the pacing of clive's we hair we can talk
0: we can dive way deep into this next week i just i want to say i legitimately do like that all the characters in this medieval setting have Really fantastic haircuts that mm-hmm, would hair. require very high level maintenance. That's actually something, pacing wise, that I would love if they included. If you were just like, you need to style Clive's hair every day, mm. like, you need to really spend some time with that hair wax, like, you need to just help him with his morning routine because goodness knows he spends a lot of time on it. And I actually feel like those kinds of gentle moments are what I like so much in Zelda, like cooking meals and like Link's putting on little different outfits and looking so excited about it. Like, I would love to see more of that and less mail delivery. But genuinely, I love the haircuts. I know people make fun of them, but holy moly. There's some really good haircuts in this video game.
2: <laughs> I mean, Matt, some you're good-looking Kingdom, people
0: in the game too. But. You're
2: a Kingdom Hearts fan. Uh, I know. Do you think that like Sora's hair is just like magical, well, or do you think yeah. he just styles it for five hours a day?
0: I mean, it is funny. I do feel like Final Fantasy VII remake's version of Cloud's hair really takes the like Homer Simpson, mm. but in real life extremes. Of like, what does this level of spiky hair really look like as we get more and more high res <laughs> and like the new version of Sora and like Kingdom Hearts Four or whatever is kind of like that where it's like yeah it does look really weird right like there's so much hair wax in there but i i don't know i think it's uncanny,
2: uncanny valley except <laughs> for hair amazing. gel it's so uh-huh. hard to make uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. kirk uh-huh. What, what do
0: you think do you have any final thoughts on the first hour and a half of final fantasy 16. do you like the hair do you are you excited to get to the combat i mentioned
2: <laughs>
1: yeah i've played a little bit of combat it does seem fun yeah i like it so far i mean i'm i it is a special challenge to be as jet-lagged as I was last night and try to play through the first hour and a half of this. without I was just falling asleep. I was dead on my feet trying to pay attention to what was going on. And I really did value the act of time lore thing, partly because I could just pause it and then I would kind of nod off. And then I'd wake up and then I'd just look at everything and read. Be like, and like, okay, this character think, Jill is are.
0: Theon Greyjoy. Got it. Back into the exactly.
1: game. And, so, and that is the, that's my other thought. That's her is, backstory. Uh, She's Theon. Is No, really. And so many of this... So many of the things in the game are just Game of Thrones things. Jason, you said this a couple of weeks ago when you were describing the game. You're
2: like, it's super, super Game of Thrones. And I remember just kind of laughing. And you were you don't you don't realize how the
0: developers talked about that. Like that's literally true. Yeah, yeah.
2: You don't realize just how much until you play. Right.
1: You were leaving out specifics, but then when you start playing, and it's like one woman is calling a guy her lion and yep. the Iron People, and the yeah, there's a ward tag, and he's like Jon Snow because there's his mother doesn't wolf. like him. She's like just like um, Catelyn Stark. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, wow, okay, (laughs) this really is like they took um, Game of Thrones and just put it into a Final Fantasy blender. So then people are riding chocobos and there's huge fireballs everywhere and and whatever, all these these big monsters stalking around. And they
0: have great haircuts, haircuts that would never be seen on HBO's Game of Thrones.
1: No, no. So it's a really funny mix. I mean, it just it is it is uh, I find it beguiling and um, intrigued. I want to play more. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm enjoying it so far.
2: Imagine if Game of Thrones made you like stop watching for a while while so you can go pick flowers <laughs> go deliver
0: mail yeah, yeah. Makes sense. It's yeah, it's sure. interesting.
2: Game of Thrones is a great comparison point in many ways, but just in terms of pacing, I mean there are very few moments while watching Game of Thrones where you're like, man, this is boring. I wish they would cut to something else. Whereas you know, in a game, uh that happens a lot. The first season of Game of Thrones,
1: though, that's a little it's a little more like this, where it starts okay. pretty slow and, slow. and it does it really takes up until Ned Stark gets beheaded at the end of season one, where suddenly everyone was like, Whoa, okay, this show's not messing around. This is a very different thing than I thought it was. Yeah. It takes a long time. I think there probably were people who started Game of Thrones who were like, this is really boring. I'm I'm out.
0: Yeah, I, I mainly was comparing it to the books, actually, in my head, because I'm one of those really cool people who read the books way before the show was even greenlit. So, uh, so I'm, I just got to be that person. I think the person. two of you both are. Yeah, I think, I think so, right? Yeah, so the books it's start many, pretty many, slow, and also the books just don't explain Anything to you? Like, there's no active time lore with George R. R. Martin, and I was thinking about the opening.
2: Well, there is a glossary in the back that true. essentially is the active time lore.
0: It's true, it's just and a that, not quite yeah, as that's, that's me flipping back and forth. That's mm-hmm. essentially what active time lore is. Yeah, but I remember reading A Game of Thrones and just being so lost for the entire beginning, but just enjoying feeling really lost. And this game just doesn't do that. It holds your hand so much more than George would ever let any reader do and that is just such a key difference both in terms of just pacing and pure comprehension like the game just by including something like active time lore and also really guiding you from set piece to set piece like that is the final fantasy of it all that is the peanut butter mixed with the chocolate of game of thrones like it is it is so different to have something that is holding your hand as opposed to just being like Deal with it. There's White Walkers. What are they? I'm not going to tell you. You might find out in like 600 pages. And even then you might still kind of be like, what are they? And like, there's a wall. And who is Jon Snow? What, what even is his deal? Like, it takes, I don't know, multiple books for you to really know. And that's just how those books are.
2: So, yeah, I'm very uh, I'm looking forward to talking about this game with both of you <laughs> and you both had a chance to play more. Yeah, we got to play more. <laughs>
0: um,
2: in the meantime, uh, we will take a break from this high octane action conversation by actually taking a break. Um, it's time for a cigarette break and then we'll be back <laughs> for one more thing, for more high octane. One more thing. Oh, my gosh. Hi, it's me, Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture game show Troubled
1: Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play a whole host of games, like one where I describe a show using a limerick that our guests have to figure out what it is. Let's do one right now. What show am I talking about? This podcast has game after game and brilliant guests who come play him. The host is named
0: Dave. It could be your fave, so try it. Life won't be the same. Uh, A Big Business starring Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin. Close, but no. Oh, is it Troubled Waters,
2: the
1: pop culture quiz show with all your favorite comedians?
2: Yes, Troubled Waters is the answer to this question and all of my life's problems. Now, legally, we actually can't guarantee that,
1: but you can find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: J. Keith, do you know what I love more than the trivia, comedy, and celebrity guests on our podcast, Go Fact Yourself? No, what, Helen? Sharing all of those things with an actual audience. A live audience. Woo-hoo! Well, lucky for you listeners, Go Fact Yourself has brand new episodes featuring live audiences cheering on guests every month. And we still have all of our Zoom episodes with contestants and experts from around the world. We can truly have it all. Yay! You can hear it all twice a month, every month, on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, no excuses. So if you're not listening, you can go fact yourself. And we are back. Hope you all enjoyed your your little peace and quiet time, your little breaks from <laughs> our show. Um, let's get into one more thing. I will go first. Um, I'm not doing anything that interesting that I can talk <laughs> about just yet. But I do want to talk about a news event that happened that we uh, didn't... Wasn't worth dedicating an entire episode to, but did have a couple of interesting moments, which is the Nintendo Direct that hit last week that had a bunch of fun stuff that I want to get into a little bit. Um, I was excited personally about a couple of things, like a remake of Star Ocean 2, which is a game I played. Growing up, and I'm very curious to see what that remake looks like. And another remake that I think is gonna like really blow people's minds when it comes out later this year, which is Super Mario RPG, a Hell classic, yeah. classic game that you guys will both love, I suspect. I played it. I played it with uh, you, you on stream, Jason. Oh yeah, it together.
0: I never have, and I would like to play it. So I'm. Excited I suspect to play. that
2: you'll both. I, this feels like the game, that, a game that you'll both want to play to completion because it's not that long and it's really good. The the thing that Most impressive about this game, which is essentially like um, a Square Nintendo collaboration in 1996 that like mixes uh, Mario characters with turn based combat. Um, The thing that's really cool about this game is the level of detail to it all. There's just so many like. Fun little moments and little things that you discover, and I'll give you guys an example that might be one of my favorite things in the game, um, which is something you can miss entirely. So when you get to this one, there's this one city, um, and it has a uh, a hotel that has like really nice rooms that you can pay a lot of money for. Um, And there is a way to book one of these rooms and uh, not have enough money to pay for it. I think they bill you afterwards or something like that. This is me speaking on memory, and I haven't played this game in a long time. So bear with me if I get any small things wrong. But essentially, you can be in this situation where you... Book this room. It's really nice. You stay in there. It's like an inn Um, and you have a great night, and then you come out and you can't pay for it. So, (laughs) what they do is they make you pay for your stay by going and working for the hotel and doing dishes and stuff. And you have this ridiculous cutscene that plays where you're just like doing work for the hotel and then it's done. And that this, this, there's no reason for this to be in the game. It's totally optional, totally unrelated to anything. You can just wind up like in indentured servitude for this fancy hotel in Super Mario RPG for some Great. reason. Great, good, love it. Um, this, this game is just full of tiny little secrets and details. There's like an optional boss who's really cool that I'm very curious to see how the remake handles it. And it just, like, my mouth was dropped when I saw how cool the remake looks. So I can't wait for that one. And then the other thing that we're definitely all going to play later this year is Super Mario Brothers Wonder, a new 2D Mario that looks absurd i mean did you guys see the trailer for this game holy crap it looks amazing yeah i does. did i
1: saw the i saw the elephant mario that was all I needed
2: to elephant see. mario elephant oh my mario goodness
0: good stuff i love him
2: <laughs> um elephant mario and also drug tripping mario like you you get a power up and then the world goes crazy um it just looked incredible it just looked like so much fun uh that game um it just yeah that that Tiny two minute trailer was all I needed to see to be like, wow, this is going to, going to be another, uh, another, also another year where like Nintendo has a new Zelda and a Mario six years after the last one. So that's, Mm. that's a a fun, fun, potent combination for, uh, presumably the Switch's last, uh, Maybe last year, maybe last year and a half. Who knows how, how much longer the Switch is going to be around. But um yeah, just really cool to see. And just a really enjoyable Nintendo Direct that uh I don't know why they waited until a week after, like, E3 or fake E3 to do maybe they hate Jeff Keighley and they didn't yeah, want to be to part of this thing you know yeah just, it's it's funny to imagine yeah that. they wanted to get their own little
1: one more thing segment instead of being bundled <laughs> in with all the other game news that's a true weeks
2: pacing man it's all mm. about pacing there you so go true so true um, but yeah, a fun a fun sequence of events, and I'm just I'm excited to have at least two games that the three of us are gonna get really into this fall in Mario Wonder and then Super Mario RPG. So that'll be that'll be fun. Uh, screw all the other stuff. Screw <laughs> Assassin's Creed, Call of Duty. We're just gonna play a remake of a Super Nintendo <laughs> game. Um, Sounds good, all huh? right, Maddie, what's your one more thing?
0: So I read a book called Ender's Game by orson scott card for the first time oh, uh, nice. i just was thinking about orson scott card a lot amidst the whole harry potter game situation because i've always felt like jk rowling's bigotry is pretty apparent if you read her books as an adult and through just sort of an analytical lens i feel like you can really spot that and i'd never read ender's game before but it's super famous orson scott card mormon guy notable homophobe not not in inarguable <laughs> like people people don't like the guy he's been canceled many decades since uh, and I I just kind of always was like I kind of want to read Ender's Game it's a famous gamer book <laughs> and I, I gotta get my gamer canon in and also I was it's, like yeah. people love Ender's Game but like what is it is is any of that in the book like my hypothesis was yes and I would say that bears out I don't think anyone should read Ender's Game actually it's really weird to read as an adult because the just the didactic nature of it is mega strange as like one small shout out. Religion is outlawed in this totalitarian society that has child soldiers, but the only religions that are mentioned as being outlawed are Mormonism and Christianity. And there are Jewish characters who are practicing Jews and are given positions of commanding power in the government because they're socially perceived as being more adept at that. I'll I'll let you all draw your own conclusions about what that could could possibly mean. But I do want to say one thing about Under's game. That I thought was interesting, and that I don't think people talk about that much because they mostly are like *Ender's Game* invented iPads and drone warfare. Sure, it did invent those things. Orson Scott Card individually invented those things. That's all true, uh, but it also <laughs> it also predates the internet like, in a huge way. And it invents trolling. Like, there's a huge plot in this book where an 11-year-old girl pretends to be this sort of Joe Rogan-esque neocon who inflames society such that she allows her slightly older megalomaniacal sociopath brother, who is also an internet troll, to become the leader of the free world. It's like, Wild. Like, I feel like at the time people were like, that's an absurd storyline. But reading it now, I was like, no, that could happen. Like That could absolutely happen like tomorrow. I wouldn't be surprised if like an 11 year old girl was behind like all the most notable troll accounts you can imagine and that she was just doing it to be like, I'm smarter than all these freaking adults. So yeah, that part of the book, fascinating but I don't know that. Let, needs let to me understand. ask you something,
2: Manny. <laughs> so, okay, so when I when I read that book for the first time before the movie or anything like that, um, I remember thinking the entire time like, "Oh, this is like not a simulation. It's going to be a real mm-hmm. war." And then when it was presented as a twist, I was like, "Wait, that was supposed to be a twist." I thought that's how I was supposed to be reading this. That it's like they're actually piloting. Combats in the battle. Like, was that your interpretation also? I mean,
0: I knew that twist going in, and so I actually expected it to come up way, way sooner than it does. They do not reveal that until it's at the end. Yeah, it's like a final twist. And also, only some of the battles are real, quote unquote. There's a lot of actually simulated ones leading up to them that I was like, how could these turn out to be real battles? So, like, knowing the twist kind of ruined the book, but not in the way that you would think, not in the way that it was like oh, I wish I hadn't been spoiled on the twist of Ender's Game, which I feel like most people know at this point. Honestly, I feel like just kind of the politics of the book ruined the book. But it, that makes it fascinating. Like, I I like reading stuff by people that I don't agree with and thinking about it. I read Atlas Shrugged as an adult, loved critiquing it. Like, I, I like doing things like this. So I recommend it if you're that kind of weirdo. But otherwise, I think it's a really weird book and it's kind of... It's kind of strange. You don't need to read it. I don't know.
1: <laughs> there are those sequel books too, There's right? A I feel like the sequel books and people books, are obsessed they, with that. They really get more into some of the questions raised in the book. And they I, do. I, I, you're not planning on reading those, though?
0: I don't think so. I've got a lot of other mm. books I want to read. Yeah, uh, our fair. our former colleague Tim Marchman was trying to convince me to read some books in in the Latter Day Enders game. And I was like, I think I'm. I think I'm good, man. But I get that they yeah. have their fans. Well, <laughs> let me
2: just say, okay, so I don't know about I mean, the sequels to Ender's game from what I remember going some weird directions, but I remember. Yeah, loving- like Doom style. Yeah. yeah. Well it it creates a whole mythos about the aliens and yep, like yep, gets into yep. all that stuff. But I remember loving um the spin-off that takes the character Bean and turns yes. him into the hero. And, and I tells that it being, all from
0: his perspective. Yeah,
2: and tells it from his perspective and then goes on to like tell his adventures. I remember thinking those were even better than Ender's game, the original Ender's game. So for take that for what it's worth.
0: Yeah, I think it's I think it's kind of tough to get on board because just the ethos of the book is so Uh clear. And I think if you're a kid reading it, you can ignore that stuff way more easily and just be like, this is a fun, exciting book. But when you're an adult, you're like, this totalitarian regime doesn't really add up. There's like some weird shit in here. I don't know. But like that can be fascinating too, if you like thinking about that sort of thing and about how people's political ideologies end up in the fantasies that they think are interesting. And uh, yeah, so Ender's Game, it's a, it's a book about a gamer became a killer
2: (laughs) uh wikipedia says that in 2016 orson scott card followed the quote hold your nose vote trump hashtag and voted accordingly Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm
0: -hmm. make that That make of that what you will is Uh, trump an 11 year old girl who's just been posting online for years to dupe us all orson scott card knows the answer
2: uh kirk (laughs) what's your one more thing
1: My one more thing is a Netflix show that I finished a week and a half ago or so called Beef. It's what's for dinner. It's what you should watch because it's really good. Um, Really, really, really good. So I want to give it a a huge recommendation for anyone who hasn't watched it. I thought that it was fantastic. So I'll say that up front. Um, Beef is a limited series, uh, or I think it is. They've maybe talked about making another season, but I think it would probably be about different people. It is a self-contained story. 10 episodes that are actually around half an hour to 40 minutes long. Like they're a little bit shorter than your average uh, drama of this type, like dark comedy drama. And and that makes the pacing kind of work for it. This is a show about two people who become engaged in – essentially a, a mortal combat with one another <laughs> <laughs> over the course of the show for no real reason. And um, it starts one way and it ends a very different way. And I'll say that if you start this show and you find it stressful or you maybe think it's not your thing, that I would recommend sticking with it because this has show has one of the best endings, I personally think anyways, one of the best endings of anything I've seen in a very long time. The final episode is absolutely incredible. I found it moving and funny and like just really profound and beautiful, and I was amazed by it. So a little bit more detail now. This show is created by Lee Seung Jin, who I am not familiar with, whose work I'm not familiar with. It stars Ali Wong and Stephen Yen as two people. Uh, Ali Wong is a very outwardly successful and wealthy small business owner. She owns this kind of plant shop that is in the process of being acquired by this huge Conglomerate. So she's really on edge as she tries to make this deal happen, and then Stephen Yen, who people probably know from The Walking Dead. Uh, that's the, the he was Glenn on The Walking Dead. He's been in a few other things.
0: Yeah, he's been in. I think You should leave. That's probably what our listeners know. He was actually
1: in, yes, when he was nope. well, a most you. recently yeah, in nope. Sorry to Bother yeah. You. That's what and I that remember. Too, yeah. um, he's in Sorry to Bother You, but most recently I saw him in Nope. He was very good in Nope. He was great um, in that. The thing is, Stephen Yen is – they're both really good in this. Stephen Yen is – he is an incredible actor. Holy crap, he's good in this. Like, man, they both are amazing. So anyways, he is a kind of lower class, like lower on the sort of class spectrum – down and out kind of construction guy. He runs his own company, but he's mm-hmm. always kind he's of just driver. scamming and trying to hustler. get by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's very much a hustler. And um, so they have a road rage incident where he's like pulling out of the parking lot. She cuts him off and honks at him. He like honks back at her, and she flips him off. That leads to like this car chase. Like they both just sort after of each snap other
0: and trying to catch each other, and the road rage of it all. They don't ever actually hit each other, but that's the inciting incident. Yes,
1: they both just sort of snap. Um, for very different reasons, and then this, the show winds up being a story of at first their escalating conflict as they find out who the other person is. They begin kind of taunting one another and like setting out to destroy one another 's lives and then you get to know them each you get to know their their family situation what 's going on in their lives, and you get to see all of the ways that the world has sort of Pushed them down and caused them to become so stressed out and so angry and led them into this position where they are just these inextricable adversaries to one another. And because both of the performances are so strong, Ali Wong, I'd only seen her as a comedian and I guess she was in that one rom-com, but she's an amazing actor. She's so, so good. And like I said, Stephen Yen is like next level incredible. Because the performances are so good and because the writing is so well done, you really get a sense of these people. It never stops being stressful and funny in that kind of Breaking Bad meets I don't know what kind of way where you're just like, (laughs) oh, my God, I can't believe I'm about to watch this happen. And you see these two things colliding, like hurling toward one another. And then they collide in this horrifying, hilarious way. Uh And then things get worse and worse and worse as it goes. But also there's just this very profound and really meaningful exploration of anger and the ways that anger can kind of be cathartic almost or it can it can help you find yourself again and it's not touchy feely like it's not like it it always resists coming around to like let's just be friends and get along and it's all going to be okay. Like it's a really dark show and it really is about the darkness inside all of us and the anger inside all of us. It is very specifically, I think about the Asian American experience about the like frustrations and the stifling feeling of the kind of model minority, the quote unquote model minority feeling like they're all constant like microaggressions toward both of these characters, especially Ali Wong as she's, you know, trying to sell her business to this white billionaire lady and just like all of the ways that that can kind of compound all of your frustrations in life. So it's, it's really specific and culturally specific and interesting. It centers on two incredible performances with a great supporting cast. And it has one of the strongest endings of any show I've seen in a really long time. So I, I seriously can't recommend it enough. It's so, 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 so good. So that's, it's called Beef. It's on Netflix. And uh, I loved it.
2: Cool. Cool, Awesome Beef. Um, I will definitely check it out. You are not the only person who said it's awesome. Maddie has also said it's awesome, among other folks. Um, Cool. All right. That is that for this week's episode. We'll be back next week to talk more Final Fantasy 16. Looking forward to that. In the meantime, see you both. Oh, and bonus episode is hitting Monday, right? Uh, Or soon. Correct. Um, Soon. All right. (laughs) In the meantime, see you guys next week.
1: Yeah. See you next week.
0: Bye.
1: Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod. Pods and email the tripleclick at and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time.